12. How are we feeling tonight? Yes, man, I am. Uh, we are so, so incredibly glad all of you are here tonight. It's cool to see all of your beautiful faces. Uh, maybe there's some of you in the room that you just started checking out M12 for the past couple weeks, and you're kind of new to the whole, the whole God thing, or maybe for you, you've been coming forever, right? And this is, this is your home. Uh, no matter who you are or where you're from, we are so, so excited that you're here with us tonight. Tonight's going to be a lot of fun. And check it out, if you are like brand new and you've never been here before, we actually have a really cool room for you. It's called our VIP room. We got a lot of like free stuff that we want to give you just as our way of saying thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, now the rest of you know that we're in the middle of this series. We're actually at the end of a series called, I know, it's sad, right? It's the end of School Wars. And I'm sure you guys already know this by now, right? This is kind of the bottom line, the main idea of School Wars. It's a series about tough competitions and even tougher questions, right? Tough competitions and even tougher questions. So throughout this series, we've been doing this competition between all the grades to find out which grade is the best grade, to find out which grade gets a truckload of donuts. Is anyone excited about some donuts? That's it. So, um, so I got to know, I got to find out right now from all of you, uh, how many of you think sixth grade is going to win? There we go. Okay. Okay, that's good. How many of you think seventh grade is going to win? <laughs> Man, let's give seventh grade like 500 extra points for that, okay? They deserve it. They deserve it. Um, how many of you, I know there's not many in the room, how many of you think eighth grade is going to win? Wow. Okay. Well, they at least have confidence, you know what I'm saying? Sixth grade, eighth grade, maybe seventh grade, who knows? Nope. <laughs> Just kidding. No, that's awesome, man. Well, we're so, uh, we're so excited that you're here. You're participating in all of these competitions. And at the end of the night, end of the night, uh, the winning grade is going to be announced, and then you get a whole lot of donuts. Uh, and I actually went by today to buy all these donuts, and I think I got too many, guys. I think I got, I got too many donuts, Okay. Yeah, so, especially because 7th grade is going to win, I think I got too many donuts, you know? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hey, so, uh, so this series, in addition to being about, uh, being about competitions, is also about questions, right? Because sometimes we ask questions of our friends, and sometimes maybe some of you in the room are brave enough that you've asked questions to God. And some of your questions to God, maybe, maybe for you, they've made you feel uncomfortable. In fact, there could be some questions that you've asked of God that, that make you so uncomfortable that you're even afraid to ask them. Maybe you've thought these questions in your brain, but you've never actually said them out loud because you're afraid of what the answer might be. And maybe for you, these questions have made you so uncomfortable that some of you in the room, maybe you've said no to Jesus and you've abandoned ship and you've said, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus because of these uncomfortable questions. See, sometimes questions make us so uncomfortable that we decide to go. And we decide to leave. In fact, I had a, uh, had a moment like this when I was in college, um, my sophomore year. By the way, some of you may not know this. Uh, I went to college at the University of Georgia. That's right. Hey, 66 to nothing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
Yeah, that was, that was against Troy State, which is like a legitimate football team. They have jerseys and everything, okay? They are, they're the real deal. Uh, anyways, and so it was my sophomore year at UGA, and I had this idea that I wanted, like, you get to choose your classes, which is pretty cool, and so I decided to, to pick this class and take this class called Classical Mythology 101. Classical Mythology 101. And I know some of you in the room are like, why on earth would you ever take Classical Mythology 101? And I'll tell you why. The reason I took Classical Mythology 101 is because of this, Hercules. Yes. This was, this was like my favorite TV show growing up. I loved this show. It was Hercules. It was starring this guy named Kevin Sorbo. Anyone ever heard of the TV show Hercules? It, I think it came out when you guys were born. Anyways, I loved this show, right? Like I idolized this guy. Obviously, he's working out, so I need to work out, right? This is why I did the burpee body, because of him. I wanted to look like Hercules with my chest exposed, you know what I'm saying? I was all about some Hercules. I was. And um, some of you ladies in the room, maybe you're like, I don't really think he's that attractive. Well, that's okay. That's okay. Because every now and then, they would, uh, they would, they would feature like flashbacks of when Hercules was a teenager. And this is the guy they got to play young Hercules. Ryan Gosling. That's right. Yeah. So, so before the notebook, we got Hercules right here, okay? Anyway, so, um, so classical mythology 101. Uh, this was the class I wanted to take because I was like, if I can take a class all about Hercules, I'm in. That sounds awesome. And so then I sat in the first day of class, and I thought, I'm out. I don't want to take this class anymore. Like, this class, this class is crazy. This class is weird. In fact, I, uh, I sat down in class, and the teacher starts handing us these big, long, like, syllabus. You know what I'm saying? It's got all the stuff you got to do. And then he starts talking about the fact that we've got to read five books. Five books. And I'm like, five? You want me to read five? Like, you have got to be kidding me. And so, so I leaned over to the guy next to me, and I was like, bro, can you believe this? He wants us to read five books in one semester. He says, oh, man, you're supposed to read five books by the next class. And I said, oh, really? That's sweet. And then I started looking for the next class because I was like, I'm not taking this anymore. Uh-uh. The class is too hard. The questions are too difficult. There's too much that's required of me. I'm out. I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. And there's some of you in the room that this is what you've done with your faith. Like the class got too difficult. There was teaching that was too hard for you. It got too personal for you. Maybe for you, you had some questions that made you uncomfortable. And so you said, I'm out. And you dropped your faith just like I dropped this class. And believe it or not, this actually happened during the time of Jesus. It was, uh, it was, it was pretty crazy. Jesus... Um, Many of you know this. There was this one time where Jesus fed 5,000 people. He actually, he actually fed 5,000 men. They didn't count the women and children, so it was probably like 10,000 people, which is unbelievable. And so as you can imagine, Jesus is feeding all these people, and all these people start following him. And it's like, well, no joke, right? It's free food. Man, if there's free food, I'm in. Like Jesus is handing out biscuits, you know? So I'm, I'm all about it. And, and not only was Jesus giving out free food, but... He was performing all these like incredible miracles. And so it was like, it was like dinner in a movie, you know? It was a one-man show right here, Jesus. And so all these people start following Jesus until, until things started to get a little weird. 
Because, see, people liked the miracles of Jesus. They didn't really like the teaching of Jesus. In fact, there was this one occasion where Jesus stood up. It was after he fed the 5,000. And he said, hey, 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 real quick, real quick, I want you to know this. Um, I, Jesus, am the bread of life. And those of you that have grown up in church, you're like, well, that's like no big deal, right? I've heard that before. I'm the bread of life. But then Jesus, he, he went on, and he got oddly specific. And this is what he said. He said, so anyone who eats my flesh, yeah, Jesus said that, and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. And this, yeah, this is the part of the story where Jesus sounds a lot like a vampire. You know what I'm saying? It's like zombie Jesus or something like, eat my flesh, Jesus, time out. That's weird, bro. Like, I was with you when you were, like, handing out all this food, but eat my flesh? Drink my blood? That's, that's crazy. And in the same way that you think that's crazy, people during the time of Jesus thought that was crazy, too. In fact, a few verses later, this is what it says. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. No joke, right? Yeah, you said, eat my flesh. That's weird. Who can accept it? And so aware that his disciples were grumbling, um, which this is so great, like, don't ever grumble around Jesus because he can hear you and he knows what you're thinking, so don't do that. Anyway, so they were grumbling about this. Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Yeah, Jesus, this offends me. You said to drink your blood. That is weird. Like, I don't know if anyone ever told you that before, but that is really strange, okay? So Jesus, you should just, you should just not, not say that anymore. And people got so offended with Jesus that they left. They left. See, this is what it says a few verses later. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They dropped Jesus like it was classical mythology 101. They said, "Uh uh-uh, this teaching is too hard. This is too weird. This is too personal. I I can't do this anymore. And so Jesus looks at his 12 disciples, the the, the 12, like, first followers of Jesus, and he says this. He says, you do not want to leave too, do you? And now it gets personal. Because, see, it's no longer just Jesus teaching to this crowd. It's no longer just some stuff that he was saying. Now it was personal. Now these tough questions came face to face with what I think is the most important question, which is this. Do I stay or do I go? Do I stay with Jesus or do I go? Do I go somewhere else? Like, am I going to hitch my wagon to Jesus and follow him forever or am I going to leave? And see, I think think in life many of us experience these tough questions and at the end of the day, the tough questions lead us to this. Do I stay with Jesus or do I go? And I believe the two questions that make us most uncomfortable, if we can get the answers to these questions, and if we can actually wrestle them down, that's going to give us the answer to this. Am I going to stay with Jesus, or am I going to go? In fact, I bet there's some people in this room that maybe for you this is like your first time to church, or maybe this is your first time in a long time to church, or maybe you've been checking it out for a while, but you're really hesitant because you've been asking this question, do I stay or do I go? And chances are, here are the two, these are the two biggest questions that we've been getting on our ask.fm as it relates to us feeling comfortable or uncomfortable with Jesus. The first one, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Some of you are asking that question. And then finally, how could a loving God send people to hell? 
These are the two biggest questions that make us incredibly uncomfortable. And at the end of the day, the way that we wrestle down these questions is going to decide whether we stay or whether we go. So here's the first question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Now, um, I, think, I think that this question is actually two questions all kind of rolled up into one. Okay? And so what I want to do is I want to answer the first question first, and then we can get to the big question. Okay? So here's, here's the first part of this question. Why do bad things happen? Right? Like just period. Why do bad things happen? How come your friend gossips about you? How come, how come you're struggling with depression? How come your grandmother passed away? How come your parents are fighting? Why do bad things, like just in general, when I look at my life and I look at the fact there are things that are happening that I don't like, why, why do bad things happen? And I think the answer to this is actually pretty simple. Sin. Sin. The the reason bad things happen is because of sin. And we've talked about this word before, right? Like God wants you to do one thing and sin is going in the other direction. And if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Because see, God created everything that you've ever seen. Like God created your friends. He created the smile. He created your body. He created the stars that you see in the sky. Created all like the supernovas and crazy stuff out there. Created the trees. Created everything. And when he created everything, he created it to be good. And so if we do the things that he says, then things are going to be good. Which means if you don't do the things that he says, then things are going to be bad. And sin is simply not following God. And so the reason bad things happen is because of sin. See, sin is the reason that your best friend has lied to you. Sin is the reason that you're struggling with depression. Sin is the reason that your parents are splitting up. Sin is the reason, sin is the reason that your grandmother passed away. See, in fact, sin is the thing that leads to death. I mean, without fail, sin will always lead to death. In fact, there was a guy named Paul that said this. This is what he said. He said, when Adam sinned, in other words, we got to go back to the like, very beginning. If we want to talk about sin and where it leads to, let's go back to like the very first guy. So he said, when Adam, the first guy, when he sinned, sin entered the world. And then Adam's sin brought death. The reason there's death, the reason there's pain, the reason bad stuff happens is because of sin. And so death spread to everyone, for everyone's sin. And so as we try to wrestle down this question of how come bad things happen, why do bad things happen? Bad things happen because of sin. Because of sin. And so now let's go to the rest of our question. So why do bad things happen to good people? Now, here's the, here's the funny part about this question. Uh, I don't know if you've ever asked this question. This is kind of a bold question to ask, and maybe you've been afraid to ask it, or maybe you've been bold enough to actually ask this question to God or to a friend or maybe to your family. But whenever we ask this question, why do bad things happen to good people, what we're, usually what we're trying to say is, why do bad things happen to me, right? Like, because, because after all, like, I'm pretty good. I mean, I'm pretty good on my own. Like, if you take all my good stuff, and all my bad stuff, and you were kind of like to weigh it out, then my good stuff is probably more than my bad stuff, right? And so when I ask the question, why do, good thing, or why do bad things happen to good people, I'm making the assumption that I'm good, that I'm good, that at the end of the day, if you stack up all my deeds, that I'm a, I'm a pretty good guy. 
Now, I, I, I like this question. I think this is a great question. But I think our premise is wrong. In other words, when you look at what God says about us, he doesn't agree with our assumption. He doesn't agree that you and I are good. In fact, in, um, in Psalms 14, there's this guy named David who's considered a man after God's own heart. And he said this, there is no one righteous. There is no one righteous. And then in case you didn't get it, he decides to emphasize it. He says, not even one. In other words, as I'm looking around this room, as I'm like scanning the room, finding each person, I'm not finding a righteous person. And as I'm scanning this stage right now, I'm not finding a righteous person. And if I were to go to your school, I'm not going to find a righteous person. If I were to go to your home, I'm not going to find a righteous person. No matter where I look, I'm not going to find someone who is righteous. And even Jesus said this. See, someone came up to Jesus one time and they said, hey, good teacher. And they started to ask him a question. And then Jesus did the thing where he like kind of sidesteps a little bit. And he says, hold on one second. You called me good. And I want to talk about that word because you're throwing around the word good. We need to talk about that. So he says, why do you call me good? This is Jesus talking. And then he says, no one, no one is good except God alone. So if we're asking this question, why do bad things happen to good people? You realize that the only person that can actually ask this question is Jesus. Right? He's the only good person. The rest of us, you can't really ask this question. Because at the end of the day, you're not as good as you think you are. You're not as good as you think you are. See, I, uh, I remember being in high school and I went to this summer camp in Panama City Beach. PCB, anyone ever been there before? Yeah, there we go. We got a few PC beers, right? And... Um, I, uh, I went to Panama City Beach, and I was excited about this camp because there were all these people, there were all these youth groups that were there, but as a 17-year-old guy, the thing that I was most excited about were all the ladies that were going to be there. That's right. 17-year-old awkward Steve. I'm telling you, I was, I was the most awkward person on the planet, and if you've ever, like, believed somehow that I was at any point in my life cool, it's wrong, okay? That's just wrong. In fact, I'm so glad that Catherine, my wife, and I, I'm glad we met when I was in college because she would never have talked to high school Steve, okay? So anyways, I was awkward, and I was 17, and I was so fired up because I was like, all the ladies are going to be at the beach. And I know I should have, like, gone to youth camp, you know, for, like, God and all that stuff, but I went for the ladies, man. I wanted to get the ladies to notice, to notice me. And so at this camp, I'm, I'm like getting all my friends together, and I'm like scheming, right? Like I'm coming up with ways, green team, scheme team, even before y'all existed, right? And so I'm coming up with all these ways. How are we going to get the ladies to notice me? How am I going to get them to notice me? And then we're like hanging out at this big pool, and there's all these people hanging out in the pool, and they bring out a karaoke machine. Yeah. So I thought, okay, okay, I see you, karaoke machine. This is it. I thought, this is my, like, golden ticket. This is the way that I'm going to get all the ladies to notice me. And so, I don't know if you've ever done karaoke, but they have this big, giant book of songs that they have available. And so I'm flipping through all the songs, and then I see it. I see the song that I was meant to sing. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. And the song I chose to sing was an oldie called, It's Not Unusual to Be Loved by Anyone. Now, if you have, see, 
this song itself should let you know just how awkward I was, right? That I would actually choose to sing that song. Anyways, I was so confident. I was like, done, I'm going to sing this and the ladies are going to line up. They're going to be all about some Steve. And so I, uh, so finally it came time and they were like, all right, next up we have Steve Walton singing It's Not Unusual. And I was like, all right, here we go. So I go up there and I sing my heart out, guys. I, like, I leave it all in the field, you know what I'm saying? I was singing with all my might, all my passion, and then like at the end I basically dropped the mic. Like I was done. It was awesome. And the ladies, I was just waiting for them. Now when are they going to start lining up? And I'm looking, and there were no ladies around. They weren't lining up, and then, and then I'm trying to like look for my friends, like the people that I knew before I sang, and I'm not finding them either. <laughs> they all left, and I was like, what? But I, but I killed it. I killed it, and then I realized something. You're not as good as you think you are, Steve. You thought you killed it. But you actually killed the moment, you know? Like, everyone's feeling sad right now. Like, this is not a, this is not a good... Because, see, in my mind, I thought I did so good. I thought I was so good at singing, and I thought I brought the house down. But I'm not as good. I'm not as good as I thought I was. And, see, this doesn't just go for singing. The truth is, as we start, like, assessing our lives and looking at our lives and the things that we've done, a lot of times we think we're pretty good. But the truth is, you're not as good you think you are because come on all of us all of us in this room have messed up like every single one of us have done things that we later regretted things that we wish we could take back right for some of you maybe it was a conversation with your best friend maybe it was like lying to your parents maybe it was cheating on a boyfriend or girlfriend Maybe it was looking at something online that you know you shouldn't have been looking at. Maybe it was cheating. Maybe it was stealing. But all of us have done things where, at the end of the day, we're, we're not as good as we thought we were. See, because all of us have sinned. All of us have messed up. All of us have done things that God would not want us to do. And so we ask this question, why do, good, or why do bad things happen to good people? And the reason is, Bad things happen to bad people. See, the, re- the reason bad things are happening in your life is the direct result of either your sin or the sin of someone close to you. And I want to say that again. The reason that bad things are happening in your life is the direct result of either your sin or the sin of someone close to you. Because sin always leads to death. It always leads to pain. It always leads to heartache. And maybe for you, the reason that your best friend is no longer talking to you is because you lied or you gossiped. Or maybe, maybe the reason is because they lied or they gossiped. But the reason bad things are happening is because at the end of the day, as we look around, none of us have it all together. All of us have done something that we later regretted. See, because at the end of the day, we're not as good as we thought we were. And we're bad people. You, me, all of us. And bad people do bad things, and bad things lead to bad consequences. They always do. Always leads to pain. Always leads to heartache. It leads us to separation from God. And our bad decisions ultimately lead us to hell. 
See, because the truth is, the things that we've done have separated us from God. And we don't deserve to be with God. We deserve to be separated from God because of what we've done. And so now, you know, we ask this question, how could, how could a loving God send people to hell? I think, I think if we were to be honest, this is a better question. How could a fair God send people to heaven? I mean, if we were to get the things that we deserve, we don't deserve heaven. We deserve hell because we're not as good as we thought we were. We've all messed up. And so God doesn't send us to hell. We chose it. We did that on our own. We don't deserve to be with God in heaven because we're separated from him because of our mistakes. And see, I had a, uh, I had a friend of mine who went through his own personal hell. And he was a close, is a close friend of mine. And for the sake of the story, we're just going to call him Tim. And uh, Tim experienced something I hope none of you ever have to experience. Um, but Tim's personal hell for him was that he was addicted to meth. And he, um, again, I, I, I hope you never have to experience this, but uh, it was literally killing him. His body was wasting away. Uh, in fact, the, the, the early signs were there. He started separating himself from his friends that really cared about him and his family. And he started hanging out with more people that were addicted to meth as well. In fact, he moved out of his house and he started living in this apartment, this rundown apartment, where he and a bunch of his friends just got together and they, they did meth. And he spent less time with people that cared about him and more time with his addiction. And it, it was basically a death sentence for him. His body was wasting away. He lost about half of his body weight. His teeth began to fall out. Um, as, you, as you looked at him and as you tried to talk to him, it, it's, it's, it's like his brain wasn't even there. It was incredibly heartbreaking to watch him go through this. All the people that cared about him, we, we didn't know what to do. But we knew that this behavior ends in death. And then one day, his brother Josh had had enough. And so Josh went over to this apartment where he had been staying. And he started banging on the door. And it was late at night, but he starts banging on the door. And then finally, a guy gets to the door, and he's also high on meth. And he looks at him, he says, where's Tim? I need you to bring Tim to the door right now. And so the guy goes, and he grabs Tim, and Tim is high on meth. And Josh looks at him, and he says, you're coming home with me tonight. And then he grabs him, and he fireman carries him out of the door and out of the apartment. And then he takes him to his car to rescue him and take him to safety. And as he gets him to the car, they, they kind of struggle a little bit. He tries to get him in the car, and they start making a lot of noise. So then the cops get called. And the cops look at the situation, and they ask him what's going on, because there's a noise complaint. And Josh explains, and he says, this is my brother, and he's addicted to meth. And the cop looks at Tim, and he says, is this true? And Tim said, yeah. And the cop said, when was the last time you used? He said, this morning. And then the cop wrote them both a ticket, arrested both of them, and brought them both to jail. Even though Josh had done nothing wrong, even though Josh was there to just help his brother, Josh spent a night in prison. And then it came time to actually pay the judge. And 
Tim didn't have any money to pay the judge because he had spent all his money on his addiction that was ruining his life. So Josh, Josh personally paid for Tim's mistakes. See, because Josh was completely innocent, but he loved Tim so much that he paid the price for him. And Jesus was perfectly innocent, but he loved you so much that he paid the price for you. Because, see, you were stuck in the apartment of your sin. And for my friend Tim, it was leading to his physical death. And your sin, the apartment of your own sin, leads to your spiritual death, separation from God forever. And there was no hope for Tim, just like there was no hope for you. And then one day Jesus showed up, and Jesus started banging on the door of your heart. And for some of you, you answered the door, and Jesus literally picked you up and brought you to safety. And then when it came time to pay the judge, he paid the price for you because of how much he loves you. And here's how he paid the price. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still bad people, while we were still stuck in the apartment of our own sin with no hope of escape, with no hope of ever being reconciled to God, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The price he paid was his own life. See, you and I deserve to be crucified because of our sin, but Jesus took the penalty. Jesus personally paid for your mistakes because he loves you. And on the cross, he suffered and he died so that he could rescue you and give you eternal life. See, the story that we were looking at at the beginning of the night, when Jesus started telling all these crazy things and he looks at his disciples, remember he said this? He says, you don't want to leave too, do you? The story doesn't end there. I want to show you the very next verse. A guy named Simon Peter, one of his followers, answered him. Lord, he said, to whom shall we go? In other words, where else am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, Jesus, the reason I'm sticking with you is not because I have all my questions answered. It's not because everything in my life has worked out the way I want it to work out. The reason I'm with you is because you have the words of eternal life. God, the reason I'm with you is because you are better than anything else I've ever experienced. You're better than any girlfriend. You're better than any boyfriend. You're better than any family. You're better than any addiction. You're better than any grade. You're better than anything. And so the reason I'm with you is because in you are the words of eternal life. And see, for some of you in the room, Jesus has been banging on the door of your heart inviting you to eternal life. And there's many of you in the room that have said yes. You opened the door and Jesus brought you to safety and he saved you by his death on the cross. But there's others of you in this room. There's some of you in this room that Jesus has been banging on the door of your heart but you haven't answered yet. And maybe for you, you haven't answered because of some of these questions. Because you're like, yeah, but why do bad things happen to good people? Or maybe through you, you haven't answered because how could a loving God send people to hell? But tonight, tonight's the night where it gets personal. Because see, Jesus loves you so much that he paid the price for your sin. 
Not that you deserved it. Not that I deserved it. Because we were bad people stuck in the apartment of our sin. And now he invites you to be rescued. And so for those of you in this room that God is banging on the door of your heart and you haven't said yes, I want to give you a chance to say yes right now. So here's what I want us to do. Those of you, all of you in the room, if you could close your eyes and just put your head down, bow your head. I want to talk to those in the room that have already said yes to Jesus. If that's you, we are so incredibly excited for you. We're so grateful that you have accepted God's free gift of salvation. And this moment is not for you. Now, I now want to talk to the people in the room that have never said yes to Jesus. Those of you that even feel right now like God is banging on the door of your heart, saying, let me in. Let me save you. I sent my son to rescue you. Would you let me save you? And if that's you tonight, and you need to say yes to Jesus, then I want to lead you in a prayer. And so I'm going to pray this prayer, and I would love for you and your mind to God, just between you and Him, I want you to say this prayer to Him. Heavenly Father, I've messed up, and I've been stuck in the apartment of my own sin, I do not deserve to be rescued. But you sent Jesus to pay the price for me. And he died on the cross so that I could be forgiven. And then three days later, he was raised to life. So because of what Jesus did, would you forgive me of my sins? I commit following you for the rest of my life. Now, everyone's going to keep your eyes closed. If that was you, and tonight was the first time that you prayed that prayer, I want you just where you're at just to slip up your hand. Just raise your hand. That's awesome. That's awesome. guys look up at me for just a second. When my, uh, when my best friend, Tim, when he came home to safety, we celebrated. We partied because he was going down the path of death and he was rescued and brought to life. And Jesus said the same thing. He said when people, like the people in this room that raised your hands and you said yes to Jesus, whenever that happens, all of heaven celebrates. They go crazy because you have gone from death to life. So let's join heaven and let's celebrate the fact that God rescues students tonight.